Let's take our Bibles and open them to Acts chapter 3. Now firstly, a little review. This is the third message in a short series looking at these passages and I want to direct your attention firstly to our initial message in Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. A number of nations were there. And verse 11 concludes with the words, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And we raise the question, what are the mighty works of God? And we could go on for a long while about that, but essentially the coming of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, the glorification with the Father, and then essentially the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit, God's mighty works done in the name of Christ. And then secondly, will you look at verse 23 of chapter 2. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he says, this Jesus delivered up or handed over, depending what version you have, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. And our question was, from an illustration of a pastor talking to a group of young fellows, who killed Jesus? Who was responsible for the death of Jesus? And the questions led to the answers, well, the Sanhedrin, many of the Jews, the Roman soldiers, you and me. But essentially the answer is that the one responsible for the death of Jesus Christ was God the Father. It was no accident. God sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. He came to die. Now this morning we're looking at a different type of situation in Acts chapter 3. And the verse that I'm directing you all to will be verse 6. Peter's words to the crippled man, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. And here's the essential truth. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Let's look at the scene. The scene is described for us in the first three verses of this chapter. Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was round about three o'clock in the afternoon. The crowds would increase at this time. So many of them were going to prayer, perhaps out of habit. And there would have been those who were sincere in what they did. It's the same with church, isn't it? You can come out of habit and sort of zombie through the service, or you come to really hear what God is saying. But three o'clock in the afternoon with so many people was good for business. And a number of those who begged for a living would be there to catch up with the crowds. There was a crippled beggar there and everyone knew him. 
He had an incurable disease. He'd been coming there as his friends or relatives brought him for some 40 years. He was not a newcomer. He was part of the scene. And along with many other beggars, there he was, asking for alms, trying to catch the eye of people, hoping that they would put alms into his little pan. But without faith in the resurrected Messiah, he could not pray for the one thing that would change his life. And that's true of us. There are people who say, well, I say my prayers. And my frequent reply is, well, what prayers do you say? I remember a mate at school saying, well, I, I say the Lord's Prayer. Well, that's good. But what, for what purpose? Well, I don't know. I just say it. Does anything happen? No. And I didn't know much about prayer myself in those days. But that's the scene. There are thousands and thousands of people. There would have been hundreds and hundreds or more of beggars all hoping that this would be their day. And the people who could walk would go into the temple. And then you'll notice that there is action. Verses 4 to 7. This man, and we don't know his name, it's going to be one of the things we'll discover in heaven. This man sees Peter and John about to go into the temple. Why he set his eyes on them we're not told, except that this is God's moment in his life. Perhaps they were different. Maybe there was something about them. But you'll notice the story that Peter in verse 4 directed his gaze at him, as did John. So both men directed their gaze at him with a purpose. It wasn't a cursory look. They gazed at him deliberately. And they said, look at us. Wow, this is the time. Surely for, for them to say that, they're going to empty their pockets. So he directed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And then this amazing statement, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, having been there at Pentecost. This is faith in action. Peter and John directed deliberately their gaze at this man. They fastened their eyes on him as he fastened his eyes on them. And Peter didn't leave it at that. He says, look at us. This is the moment. Look at us. Remember the story of Moses and the brazen serpent in the book of Numbers of how the people were evil and disobedient to God and the Lord told Moses to erect a brass serpent and the message was if you've been bitten, if you're dying, if you're ill and there's no doctors around none of the Bethel guys were there there's only one thing to do Look, 
at the brazen serpent, the serpent cast out of bronze, and you'll live. Is that all they've got to do? Look! Now you and I look at things all the time, but do we see anything? You can look and not see. You can have your ears directed and not hear. You can come to church and look at the Bible and it's all gobbledygook. It's a mystery. We have to look at the direction of Jesus Christ. And they are the words that John uses in his Gospel. You remember in chapter 3, that well-known passage. We know verse 16 so well, but just before that, the Apostle John writes, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For what purpose? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him you can't look unless there's that direction of the Spirit of God to look. But we are to look this morning. Now this story, little story illustration has been varied over the years. But the one I tell you must be correct because I'm telling it. There was a visitor in Rome and had an audience with Pope Clement VII. Both men were admiring the wealth, the artistry of the newly built St. Peter's in Rome. And the Pope said to this visitor, The Church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. As he looked at all the riches that were pouring there out of his coffers, his vaults. And the visitor replied, But neither can the Church any longer say, what I have, I give to you. What does the church have today that it can give? It can only draw people to Jesus Christ and say, look, we can't answer the questions of society. You can write letters to the newspaper and people shrug their shoulders. You can go on talk back radio and say all sorts of things but you and I as the church have the only message that can change the lives of men and women and young people when we tell them look to Jesus Christ so in verse 6 they said what I do have I give to you what did they have they only had Christ as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said to this man as they gazed at him intently and he did with them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the point. They didn't say rise up and walk. They firstly said in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There were a lot of people in those days who were called Jesus. Christ means Messiah. It wasn't a surname they identified precisely the one of whom they were talking. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, they said? Come and see. This is the one name that we have to present to the world and to present to the church. 
the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in our ministry, Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension and glorification. That's what we have and that's all we need. So there's the crowds, the scene we've described. There's the action of Peter and John in verses 4 to 7. But the name, what happened? Well, you notice in verse 7 that Peter and John, although it says he took him, it's Peter and John acting together, took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and angles, ankles were made strong. The outstretched arm that's wanting arms, money, is used to grab hold of Peter and John and he is healed. The crippled man was the only person who came to faith in the Messiah that day according to Luke the historian and doctor who verified by his writing that this actually happened. There may have been plenty of other beggars as we've suggested but in the eyes of the scriptures the only message that we need is the one that actually happened on that day and if we see it in that regard this was the only healing that took place in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk well what happened? well it says he leapt up he didn't just struggle up yes he had hold of their hands but the word used is he leapt up he leapt forth now he'd never done that in his life he leapt forth and where did the three of them go? The healed man accompanied the two apostles through the gate from the outer court into the sacred area of the temple. He went into the temple. One man, I don't think it was mentioned in the Jerusalem paper that day, nor in the evening news. This man wasn't interviewed in the current affair of the day. But his name has gone down in prosperity no, not his name, the action. The name, our name, is not important. His name is not important. But the name of Jesus Christ is the significant one that we share with people. Now to tie this together, there are three pictures, very, three very simple pictures in verses 1 to 11. The first is that for more than 40 years, this man had been carried to the temple area to beg for money. You'll notice that in chapter 4 and verse 22 because his story continues. And Luke says, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. What's the significance of being 40? In those days, if you had a congenital illness like this fellow, you might want healing, but if you got to 40, that was it. You were over the hill. 
In fact, life expectancy often didn't get anywhere near 40. But if you made it to that great age, we might say in our Western society, life begins at 40. Not sure that it does. But in their day, life was finished by 40. So that's a significant figure that Luke puts in the story. He was brought daily. His friends and relatives did this for him. We're not told who they were. He was laid down at the gate in order to beg. The gate beautiful. We're not sure which one that was, but it's given that name. Now he received what he imagined was impossible. He didn't expect what came to him. He thought money, because that was the prime area of his need, but he received eternal life and forgiveness. God's grace came to him. It had never done so before. You know, you can come to a church service and be expectant for something, and God speaks in an entirely different way, because he is the sovereign and wakes us up and we say man I never saw it like that before God has done something in my life more than one preacher has been converted halfway through his sermon too and that's a blessed thing to happen the second picture is in verse 8 A very simple expression in English that we have. It says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. There are seven verbs in that verse. We learned at school that a verb, remember, is a doing word, it's an action. There are seven of them here. He didn't call for a physiotherapist. He didn't say, I've never done this before, I better take it easy. There is nothing of that in the story and we can rely on the account because I've said Luke was not only a a historian but also a medical man. He knew what he was writing It's a, ver- it's, a, it's a verse of movement and action. He immediately jumped up, left forth and went with them, holding on to them with for joy and went into the temple. And he didn't walk, did he? I mean, if somebody in this service started to leap around and praise God, I've often wondered what we'd do or what I'd do if, if that happened. <laughs> Don't try it, but... If, uh, if God speaks in some particular way, oh, you don't, you don't do that in a, in a church building, you know. Now, it, it could be okay in a Bethel service. I don't think in a Presbyterian service they're a bit, they're a bit staid. But this guy, he really took off like a rocket. The third picture is in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. 
or the porch, named Solomon's porch. All the people ran to them. Luke, our doctor, describes the healed man holding on to Peter and John. He didn't need them for balance, as I said. He was just overjoyed. And I don't think the words adequately describe the newness of life that had come to him. Now, if you've ever been in hospital or sick at home and you've had to be in bed for more than one day, when you get out of bed for the first time, you can leap around, can't you? Man, you can hardly walk. Now, if you've been in bed for a week and they say to you, you've got to get up. (laughs) I remember after one bout of surgery, one of my hip replacements they came in the next day and they said you've got to get up and I said you're joking and said no you've got to get up you can't stay in bed and my mind said impossible but the nurse said possible hang on to me she said or it was the physio I've forgotten But this man immediately, this is the miracle working of God. When he changes our life, he doesn't do it by degrees. He does it, bang! And there's no going back. It's on forward. The significance of the authority of Jesus Christ. The church around the world has many crippled people. They're dependent upon their friends, but they're not dependent on Christ. They say, oh yes, I go to church, I do this, but they're dead from the toenails up. There's no life. Whether they're Christians is God's decision. But I've met so many of them, sadly, and I think I've been like it too. People who are churchy, who are religious, but are not Christ-like. There's no life. The message is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk and leap and jump and rejoice. I read a story years ago and because I like to tell it, I'll tell it again. I think I've told it here before. But if I have, you'll enjoy it. It's a story of a teenage boy who lived in England. His father was a minister. His grandfather was a minister. This boy was not into sport. Can't understand that, but being in England, he didn't even play cricket. But uh, he loved books. And particularly his grandfather's library, and he often stayed with his grandparents. In those days you were taxed according to the number of windows that you had in your house. This was in the 19th century. So he had to find one window at least so that from the light that came in, because there was no electricity, he was able to pour over these great thick theological doctrinal books. And as a boy he loved them and he would seek to understand what they were all about. And as the years went by, he would go to church, but he wasn't gripped 
by what the Christian message meant. He'd heard his father preach, he'd heard his grandfather preach and he wanted to know God but he couldn't find God. He couldn't come to the reality of what it meant to walk with Jesus Christ. One day he was going off to church but there was a severe snowstorm and he couldn't get to his usual place of worship. And so this 16 year old boy found himself in a primitive Methodist church. There was hardly anybody there because the snowstorm had stopped most of the others coming. When somebody different comes into our church service we tend to look at them don't we because they're, they're new we wonder who are they? And he came in and there was plenty of seats and he went and sat over in one corner against the wall. When you sit next to the wall there's a tendency well I hope I can hide here and nobody will see me. The snowstorm was so severe that even the preacher didn't make it. Who's going to preach the sermon? Well I don't know. And they looked at one fellow and they said well you better get up there and do it. I can't preach. Well you better try. And this fellow, we don't know his name. An unlearned man. A man that could hardly string two words together. Got up into the pulpit. And he chose as his text, because he just opened the Bible and thought, well I've got to give something. His text was Isaiah 45, verse 22. Now this was in the Old King James Version. I'm reading it from the English Standard Version, but the words are very similar. The verse said, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. The King James it says, look unto me. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Well that's his text, what does he say? Well he looked at the congregation and he says, look to Jesus Christ. And he said a few other little things. Look. And then he his eyes went back to the 16 year old boy over in the wall and he said young man you look very miserable that's a good way to sort out the congregation and the boy said to himself well I am miserable and the preacher said young man look to Jesus Christ and he looked and of course by now you know who it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon I won't offer a prize if you got that name right you can have an extra little bit at lunch Spurgeon who had been looking in all sorts of places to find the answer to life to find Jesus Christ to find the reality of God but this was God's moment for him And through the struggles of looking and reading and searching, God came to him. It is when God comes to to us, he enables us to look. And the desire in our hearts well up 
For this fellow in our story this morning, he had no idea, but the, the answer of faith from God came to him in the words of Peter and John, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But of course he did more than walk. And he also looked. Let's join in prayer. Our Father, we look in all sorts of areas in our life. We look at our problems and sometimes we focus on them far too much. We look at other people and at times we wish we could be like them or maybe we even criticise them. Save us from looking at ourselves because that's a pretty miserable way to live. This morning may we look afresh to Jesus Christ of Nazareth and in doing that know the total release from all our sins that he has brought to us through his death and resurrection. We ask it in his wonderful name. Amen.